0: Without further ado, here is part two of our interview with Steve Lumet. And this was probably the hardest lesson of my life. We had everybody we could think of audition for it. And everybody sounded like a caricature of Dave, you know, because Dave has a very, very distinctive yeah. voice. I'm not even going to try to mimic it because I will sound like a, car- a caricature of it as well. <laughs> and we ended up running out of time after we had three different versions and they, they were all... I should say, compromised. And uh, we ended up going with the best that we could. And I remember the YouTube comments on that. I think if you look it up, you could probably find the video somewhere. It, you know, it was one of those, you know, atrocities or what did I ever do to you kind of, you know, to have this <laughs> wow. horrible. And it was like, man, you know, that's, that was a rough one. However, I have a, an opposite story that was really funny to me is I was doing round and round for mm. that game as well. And believe it or not, I was able to hire Stephen Piercy.
1: Nice. Oh, wow.
0: <laughs> yeah. And the best part about that was everyone slagged on him saying, why didn't they get someone that sounded more like Steven Piercy? And <laughs> oh, <I> thought, no. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, this is why the internet sucks, right? Because yeah. it's like, no, that is him. And <laughs> right. uh, it, didn't, it didn't matter. And then let's even take it one farther. So a great friend of mine who really was the fish that saved Pittsburgh. That's an old reference to you that weren't born in that era. Um, Brody (laughs) Dolanick is probably one of the most chameleon-like amazing singers I've ever known. He's in a band, a Zeppelin band called uh, Zusa, Zeppelin USA. And he does covers like nobody else. And he sang on the majority of the Guitar Hero covers. And (laughs) his first assignment was to do talk dirty to me. Mm. Now here's a here's a guy that lives on Elton John and you know Robert <laughs> Plant and David Gilmore and and I go hey dude and Klaus Mine and you know <laughs>
1: I'm gonna hey hire this song is yeah
0: Poison <laughs> and and guess what his his response uh, or the online response was so what they hire some half ass Poison cover band and have Brett sing over it oh. so to this day. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, yeah, it's, uh, you know, Brody, I, you know, that's how I, I start every phone call, you know, every rose has its thorn, Brody, you know, it's, uh, uh, so he's going to go down in history as the guy that is Brett Michaels, and I'm, a, I, and I'm a cheap knockoff of C.C. <laughs> C. DeVille. <laughs> so that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: that's just too humorous. Oh mm, that, man. Yeah. You that never is, know so. what you're gonna get with the comments You never though. know what you're gonna get. And no, no. I, I can sort of relate to this because I don't know if you're familiar with the game Go Vacation, which was actually no, rather I'm not. it was a rather popular game. Who is the publisher? Uh Nameco so, Sega. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. So okay. It, yeah. it was it was a rather popular game. And there are ten songs on the game. And I sang on seven of them, and occasionally I'll get emails from people saying, "Hey, are you the guy that sang on this game?" It's like, "Yeah, yeah," (laughs) because you don't know what's going to happen. (laughs) Tentatively, yeah.
0: What am I setting myself up for here? So somebody has gone to
1: all the trouble to actually upload these to YouTube, and people were trying to figure out the lyrics, and the composer is credited as the lyricist on the game. However, It was a Japanese composer, amazing guy, Norihiko, mm-hmm. and his English translations left a lot to be desired. So myself and the other singer— So do my females, Japanese
0: translations. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah indeed, <laughs> right? yeah. So,
1: But myself and the other singer were left to our own devices to actually rewrite the lyrics and given the go-ahead okay for doing so. But we never yeah. got credit and we didn't get paid for that portion of it, which is unfortunate. However, yeah. in doing so, did not keep original copies of this stuff.
0: Oh, okay. So in
1: trying to listen back and somebody asking me, like, what did you sing here? It's like, well, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you go in, you're hired, you do your thing, you walk out, and you're done. And right. I eventually got so many requests on this that I contacted Norihiko. He had the original files that we had delivered back to him.
0: And oh, okay. was wow.
1: able to give me the lyric files. So, and But to listen or read comments... On oh. the YouTube thing. It's just like some of them are real complimentary and nice, and others are like, wow can I go hide in a hole now?
0: <laughs> oh, I, I yeah, I didn't have that ever, so I wouldn't know. I, I will say this, though. Um, well, but
1: to be called a cheap knockoff
0: of C.C. DeVille. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I was a cheap knockoff of C.C. DeVille. I mean, C.C. DeVille is... C. That's sure. what the other thing is, is that you cannot duplicate DNA. Um, no, of course yeah. no. As a guitar player, we can plug into an amp and, and get a tone similar. I work really, really hard to, to get the technique facilitated the same. But man, I, I have the greatest respect for... Singers, You know, guys like Brody Dolanick or Mark Martell, who yes. sounds, you know, Just like, like Fred. that's yeah, you're you're talking about that's an uncanny kind of thing. But to be able to do that is there are very, very few people on this planet that have that ability. So. I'll be the first one to say it. You know, I do these re-records, but would I rather listen to my version than the original? No. I mean, <laughs> I mean, come on. Let's just say it's like Hendrix or Hendrix Lite. What was it that's been going around lately? The um, Mel Gibson and the Mel Epiphone. Have you seen that? <laughs> no. Oh, actually, wait, I have seen that. That is Yeah, funny. The, 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 the meme. meme it's yes. like this guy that looks kind of like Mel Gibson. And that's exactly what we're doing. We're doing our best, but ain't nothing like the real thing. Sure. There's just there's, yeah. you know. And our brains are really, really good at being able to notice the absolute slightest deviation. Sure. It's amazing how good. And kids are even more brutal about it. That ain't the real thing. You're like, (laughs) yeah, I know. (laughs) Man, you just just killed my magic trick there. (laughs) Wow. Have you ever
1: taken something and sampled it and used it?
0: Reused it? Well, I... I can't. I mean, Well, I know as... you
1: can't in terms of like when you're doing something for a game. However, I bring this up because a buddy of mine played me a song in the car once. And this yeah. is prior to the easy, easy ability that it is now. But it's Jeff Soto. Yeah. And he had a band called Human Clay alongside yep. when he was doing Talisman. And right. he played me a particular song that was a Talisman song previously. And... Then played this new thing in the car one day and just said, "Hey, what do you think of this?" And I just said, "Did you sample your guitar part and like rewrite something over it?" And he turns and he looks at me. And he's like, "How the fuck could you tell that?"
0: <laughs> <laughs> so he reused his own material. Yes. and you noticed it. Ah, uh, yeah. But they
1: re-pitched it. Oh. And okay. They sped it up by literally using like a tape style speed up instead of like
0: like a very speed, like a very speed
1: thing. So it would be a lot less noticeable with no artifacts on it. But I noticed that it was the same rhythm, same chord changes. And I just was like, I think that's the same part. You
0: just sped it up. Wow. Well, and he was, no, I have never done that, but that's cool. Well, I mean, that's cool. And you have to say hi to Jeff next time you talk to him. Jeff actually sang on a few tracks for me as well. Oh, right. Um, yeah, he did uh, some corn tracks and uh, Foo Fighters for me for Rock Revolution, and nice. um, hmm. well, you know that was awesome to be able to work with Jeff because I met him at Ingve's house in 1985. Woo! When I <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> you know I mean that was and I he was you know he's a young guy and I was over at Ingve's house because I had met those guys at Day on the Green and they said come on over anytime and and I did and there was Jeff and. Not long after that, he was not there, and it was Mark Bowles. And yeah. but I've always loved Jeff's voice, and it was really great to work with him.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, living with him for a while and being a guitar player who's suddenly thrust in the concept of singing made me super self-conscious of my own voice. Like you wouldn't. Yeah, but you got a great voice. Well, thank you. But
0: <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, I, I I only speak the truth here. Oh. Well,
1: so, okay, uh, let me give you your money after lie. the podcast is yeah, over. hundred. Right. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's hundred
2: right. now. Yes, so, yeah. Yeah, so, so let, let's uh, take it back a little bit more to yeah. um, the technical aspects here, if you don't mind. No, um, I love it. Now you mentioned technique and how everybody's sort of individual, of course, in our playing and all this kind of stuff. So the first thing that that I came to mind when you just when you said that. Again, we're both huge Kiss fans here. Yeah, the things that makes Ace sound like Ace, because Ace is not a technician at all. Nope. But it is very difficult to replicate some of the, all those little nuances that he does because yeah. he's he's seemingly so awkward, at least to me. You know, <laughs> yeah, that, no, it's it have been he, the yeah. drinking
1: though. <laughs> well, no, but even early
2: on, well, even early on, it might have been the drinking. But you know, so with, with the technical aspects and stuff. But I, what I wanted to ask as a follow up on that, on the yeah. um, the performance aspect of the ones when you perform, has there been any particular player? or track that you've had to record that you felt on a performance aspect that was just murderous for you. That that was really, Buck really- Buck Dharma. Yeah? The Buck worst Dharma. Occulta.
0: It was the most difficult to do Cities on Flame because it was like this freeform stream of consciousness blues rock thing that was just not typical for my hands. And mm. for some reason that- you know, you think, oh, like Dimebag Daryl or something like that. Dime was a little bit more calculated in and schooled, I think. Yeah. And so it made it a little easier to not play like him, but to at least understand where he's coming from. I think the Buck Dharma thing just always struck me as being so like a rolling rambling thing that was a a one-off and i think that's what it is is when you get into the jam style solos they're the hardest to reproduce because it they wouldn't reproduce it either it would be different every time yeah and pure improvisation um, yeah i think that's really tricky but i always reference that one because it stands out as me going i don't think i'm gonna get this and i think it's okay that song doesn't even sound like Blue Oyster Cult the way that we did it, and I had a great singer that didn't sound anything like, and I can't remember who the singer was on on that song, but Chris Powers did the, the cover, and he was he was the same guy that sang Devil Went Down to Georgia for me. Oh, okay. um, he was a great singer. He didn't sound like the Blue Oyster Cult's vocalist, but it was what it was. Uh, but yeah, Buck Dharma, by far.
2: Okay. Yeah, yeah, I would not. That would not have been my guess. But yeah, Yeah, that's interesting. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. No, but but I think it's it's interesting because you think on a sort of performance level, like you said, certain players have a very distinct style for their note choices, if you will. Yes. And you can find a lot of repetition type of stuff in there, whether it's patterns and all this kind of stuff, or the way they just they articulate. Exactly. But But then when you have stuff where you know it's like. You're doing what now? Why yeah, you, you know, and it it is hard to sort of get into that mindset. I think it uh, is, yeah, and, and then try to do it convincingly like you have to do in your case. You know, it's yeah, it's different.
1: So along know? the More line, recent, yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to just kind of expand upon that little part because he's asking like, what was the hardest thing? What's the hardest tone to have recreated in your past? Oh, good one, Jerry. Uh, dime bags. Dime bags.
0: Yeah, really. Um, dime bags was tough because I actually, and I had everything at my disposal at the time. Dime was working, well, had been. He wasn't with us at this point, even at that time, but he had been working with the guys at Crank Amps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and his rig was actually there, and Crank is is in Arizona here, and so I actually got to check out his rig, which was the Randall, the RG series. And uh, it was the worst sounding thing I have ever played on in my life. And that's because my hands don't have what Dimes had. Yeah, And it was perfectly set up for him. So I wanted really badly to see if I could borrow the rig. Mm -hmm. You know, that wasn't ever going to happen. So it was so scooped and so different because it's a solid state amp and... And his pickups, now I had his pickups, he had a a Bill Lawrence, the the 500XL or LX, I forgot what it is. It's the Bill Lawrence Blade pickup. And I I had a dime slime that I borrowed from somebody, which was the, it was a lower end one than the the real Deans. But that was incredibly hard because he had it tuned so the pick squeals would just explode off of the strings. And I couldn't ever quite get that scoop without scooping out the harmonics that were coming out of the guitar. It was like a weird, I'm erasing what I need and yet I can't have it. And so right, it was, yeah. sure. it was, it was painful. And I did, think I think that I did they may have five run, or six
1: songs. Do you think they may have run two tracks? One that's the scoop thing that you're talking about and one just to grab the harmonics?
0: I doubt it. I think that, I think it was just all in his hands. You know, it's like Zach yeah. Wild, right? That guy sure. is. His crazy <laughs> squeals with those EMGs and the EVs and all that stuff. Yeah, that was really tough. He um, had, and I'm tr- just to
1: kind of go off on the Zach Wilde thing,
0: that guy had that
1: at probably 17. Yeah, I mean, it was already I, I have, there. I remember when I was attending Berkeley College of Music. Yep. There was a tape because I was friends with John Mm Deservio, who played with Zach quite a bit. And I knew John through some people at Berkeley because I was attending there roughly around the same time he was. And I somehow got my hand. I still have this cassette. In fact, I actually just digitized it last year during COVID. And it is insane to listen to John and Zach jam because Mm -hmm. his DNA of how he still plays to this day is yeah. already ingrained in that fucking cassette that I have. <laughs> and I just think that's actually quite room.
0: true. Of, I think that's quite true of players. I think that if you started playing at 12 or whatever by 17, it's there. Yeah. yeah. You know, but yeah, those squeals and everything. It's just, you know, it's Zach's one of those players. One note, it's Zach, you know, you know, yeah. it, <laughs> you know, so. I, I've but always I been
2: curious to if he got a bunch of that from uh, John Sykes.
0: It sure sounds like it, doesn't, doesn't it? it? Right? Because <laughs> yeah. he does
2: that like nobody's business. You sure. know, yeah, John well, Sykes is, yeah. Yeah. I call
0: John Sykes. Have you ever done, done any, any of the, the White Snake stuff? Yeah. You have. Yeah, I did. I did. I did. Still of the Night. Brody sang. Did an amazing David Coverdale. I was it the original a,
1: version or the re-record that they did? With, no,
0: no, the real one, not that silly. So you did the John new, Sykes version. Yeah, I did the John Sykes version, and I had I got a boogie mark two to do it, and. That was the weirdest amp I'd ever used. I found the <laughs> settings online of oh. a, it was like a picture of John's amp, and I was able to dial it in. But man, if you bumped it, it no longer sounded anything like it. And it wasn't until two weeks ago that I ever had a boogie again because of that. I just bought a Mark IV, and it's much much easier to dial in than the two was for me. Sure, crazy. But I, I guess I didn't know that all of the uh, the EQ was pre the first gain stage. I didn't know that that's why, you know, that's why the bass was so different. And and then the e- the graphic EQ is after the fact. I'm starting to get a little bit nerdy here. Uh, <laughs> that's awesome. That's fine. what we love. So, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> well,
0: speaking of that, and you're talking about Mesa Boogie, let's just kind of jump for a second. Did you ever have a tri-axis? I never have tried a tri-axis. Okay. But I've seen them. I know about them. It's the little button thing. Well, it's, it's the uh, rack the mount version look. of several of your yeah. amps. Yeah,
1: right. What it what was so let's like take a schoolboy step back. What was your first guitar
0: and amp? My first guitar was a Memphis Les Paul copy. No excuse me Seville. Not Memphis, Seville. I think there was about a million of them. I think it was 15 or so pieces of plywood. Um, <laughs> I, I walked into Mao's music as a as a 12-year-old, and I had uh, failed on drums. I was Bobby Brady, and I knew it. And so I moved over. <laughs> my parents were thrilled. Let's get him a guitar. That'll be quieter. And so, <laughs> Wait a minute. Did
1: your parents yeah. know my parents or something? Yeah, I think
0: everybody's parents that had a drum kid knew this. So I walked into Mao's Music in Concord, California, and they had rows and rows of Gibson Les Pauls. And I wanted a Gibson Les Paul because Ace Fraley, you know. Sure. And I ended up walking out with a wine-red Les Paul copy that I'm sure set me back three to five years in learning how to play because (laughs) it was set up so poorly. (laughs) You know, Uh, it was awful. And then the amp, it was from a company called Rock amps and it was uh i think it's called the petra and it's a it had a distortion knob on it so it was this cane wooden looking thing with a cane it was like tongue and groove i still have one it had volume reverb treble bass and distortion and the distortion was a fuzz a sil- i believe it's a silicon fuzz that's built into this oh, freaking nice. amp wow. And it is, they they didn't make many of these things, I don't think, but I bought one recently because I wanted nostalgia and I found it for like a hundred bucks, but it was amazing. And I built a freaking it was a four foot by four foot cabinet that I was going to plug this 10 watt amp into. (laughs) (laughs) It was butt jointed press board and a baffle board that had 15 speakers. It was Three tens, two twelves, and a bunch of mid-range tweeters from like various transistor radios and whatnot, all wired in series. So it's probably like, <laughs> like two hundred and fifty ohms, right? And I plugged the thing into it, and I had Naga hide and radio, a cro- cl- uh, radio uh, shack grill cloth, and these furniture rollers, and I rolled it out of my house onto the driveway, and the whole thing just kind of leaned, <laughs> uh, <'cause> it, <laughs> and it was, and it sounded so incredibly bad it just barely made a peep there was just no volume to be had because i mean i was running the wrong impedance so i ended up using one speaker at a time i, I would put it into the little speakers and i'd hit a chord and it would light them on fire cuz there was <laughs> way way too much power so that was my first guitar and amp and nice. um, yeah, I later got an SG, which was the best thing that ever happened to me. and then so, so was, it,
2: was that a Tony Iomi thing, or was that an Angus thing?
0: It was an Angus thing. Yeah. Um, I got the SG. It was similar to the Firebrand SGs that they made. They were walnut, and they, they were very stripped down, and I love that guitar. It was not that great of a guitar, but it was a, such a huge step up from the Seville, it's not even funny. You still have it? no i have nothing of my past it's all it's all been unlike a lot of friends i have I, I own none of those things but i do have a picture of me with that guitar so i'll have to find it because that's the guitar way. is like hanging down to my knees because i you know i'm a little kid but, but that, that's yeah. interesting though
2: steve because i mean you're yeah. mentioning here that you're buying all this gear because you got to have it but yet you don't sound like you're too precious about the gear
0: no, I, I'm not. I have one thing that I've kept for 30-plus years now, and it's I bought Elliot Easton's Mutron octave divider from E. Wurlitzer Music in Boston, Massachusetts, from Stan Chang when I was in the computer business. I bought that for $35, and I also bought his Mutron Flanger for $35. I, I later wow. sold the Flanger for like 1500 bucks, but I still have the Mutron, and I just had it worked on again. I use that... On The Devil Went Down to Georgia, we used it on the T-Ride record, uh, and I've used it for so many things. It's unbelievable, and I will never let that go. But I'm not really precious about anything else, to be honest with you. Uh, All right. That's pretty healthy, let's I think. Take
1: a, yeah. Let's take a quick break. We've been talking a lot about like your whole gaming history and where you kind of came from as a guitar player. We haven't even yeah. begun to scratch the surface of the fact that you actually write some music, too.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that I do. <laughs> yeah. Not, and not I, I like do.
1: rewriting somebody else's music, but like no, actually
0: no. writing your own thing. Yeah. Why don't we delve a little bit into that? Well, Obviously, uh, it has been guitar-centric in what we've been talking about. But after Guitar Hero, actually, I, like I said, I got into Just Dance, and that opened up a lot of doors for working with uh, Ubisoft and Activision on other games. So I've worked on Call of Duty. I've worked on Ghost Recon. I wrote the theme for The Crew 2 from Ubisoft. Ghost Recon Wildlands was really interesting because I was writing Narco Corritos, which are Mexican drug lord songs. So okay. I had a whole team of people I worked with in L.A. that made it sound authentic. I wrote an entire soundtrack for that game.
1: Did they have to go down to, like, the drug fields and get actual people, field hands, to come play this well, stuff? Well, we going?
0: watched a lot of Breaking Bad. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, that's, that's as close as I got to it. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think the the composing side has been really interesting because – I kind of get shoehorned as a guitar player, obviously because I can't stop talking about it. I'm a total guitar nerd. I've written everything from Balkan gypsy tunes to um, Bollywood music. In fact, we did a session at uh, East West back for one of the Just Dances where it was an entire Bollywood Christmas thing. And so I'm more eclectic when it comes to that. I'm I'm certainly not an orchestral composer, even though that was what my degree was in. Um, (laughs) I I just don't find myself... I can't keep up with the guys doing the Hans Zimmer style thing because that's a such a saturated world. And I I made a a decision early on not to even bother touching that. So I kind of split my time half and half with video games and television. And you mentioned Robert Navarro. I'm now a partner of Pop Machine. I'm actually Hmm, Robert, partnered with Robert. He didn't. Did he tell me
1: that? No. Or it was with somebody else and then he took it back and then you jumped in or?
0: Well, it started about, I guess it's about six months ago now, you know, so I'm doing oh, so all yeah, the okay. mastering. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah no, Pop yeah, so Machine's I'm doing been the mastering around for a the while. Ma- oh yeah, I wrote one of the first library albums for Pop Machine called Highways and Byways, which mm-hmm. was uh, a bunch of acoustic kind of back porch, Sunday drive style stuff. But yeah, now I'm actually a partner- with him doing the mastering and the metadata, as well as uh, producing the albums with other artists. So that's gotcha. a that's a big chunk of time that I'm taking up now doing that. Sure.
1: And no, that stuff is tedious work.
0: It is. It's fun for me to be on that side, on the mastering and metadata side, because uh, I did that for APM for for many, many years for Endgame, uh-huh. and then uh, I stopped doing that. So, yeah, I, I do music for Let's Make a Deal. I do music for Monday Night Football. In fact, I just did... Another theme for them for the upcoming for the season, and I did music for the Chicago Cubs last year, which was sad because it came right out at the time that COVID hit, uh. and I had just done the new theme for the Cubs and everything, and they're yeah. using it. But you know, yeah. sports last year really wasn't sports the way that uh, sure yeah you know yeah. it's coming
2: back, but slowly yeah. but surely, but yeah, it'll take yeah. some more time. Do you find that with your, you know, when you're composing and Mm -hmm. the fact that you've done so much, put words in your mouth there and using your saying, but you've done so much sort of like forensic work when it comes to other people's music. Do you find that that has sort of like influenced your composition do you find that there's some cross-pollination there or is it just like no I have that's part of that and when I do my own thing you kind of want to step away from that or
0: well I only have 64k of ram in my head so what happens is (laughs) after (laughs) I'm done after I'm done with a project well you know when I'm done with a project it empties out of my head completely I think that it becomes part of my bigger circle as far as the knowledge that I've gotten out of that. But no, right. I don't think yeah. it really does influence. I think I'm in a different mindset in the forensic space that it doesn't rub off on me the same way that way. Yeah. Um, not compositionally. I mean, yeah, sure. I probably do glean some things from it, but I still think my style is it's unaffected by that, and it's more learning whatever I'm going to have to go into because a lot of times I'm already out of my. I don't really have a norm, you know. It's it's yeah. it's always been based on whatever the needs of the the company were. I I, I don't r- write albums every day for myself. It's always been focused on whatever. The the end. Whatever the, the know, brief. End of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So if I get a brief, my brain just opens up and and I go in that direction, and right. I take it the same way as I would a re-record, and I just I research by listening to different things, and I say, okay, well, then I add my own version of that in. So yeah, yeah. yeah. so it, fortunately it hasn't. I don't sound like Elton John. Yeah, I kind of no, no, wish I, I, I kind of wish I, I did. But well, yeah. well, well, next time right? you need yeah. to do yeah, right. that, let me know yeah. because
1: I know some of his current band members.
0: Oh, you do. Okay. Yes. Well, there you see. There you go.
2: <laughs> well, I, I, I might not have, have said the question as I intended, but oh. <laughs> not not necessarily that you would, uh, for one of a better phrase, I sort of rip off composition wise, but more like has it sort of educated your mindset as far as like recording chains or gotten an idea where it's like, oh, you know what? That's really cool on this record they did. Oh, sure. Like they did, oh, they ran a Plexi, but then they had this or whatever, right? So oh, sure. Really yeah, ev- from that.
0: yeah, everything that I learned from a re-record ends up going, it definitely comes back into my production for right. sure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I didn't used to mix my own music and it wasn't until we started doing... After Guitar Hero, where I was forced to actually have to do my own mixes, that things really started to change. And yes, everything I learn goes back into the toolkit for uh, whatever. And I actually think that way too. I just put a video up on Instagram yesterday of, or today of something I played yesterday. I got this really cool. I'll show you guys. I think we talked about this. The legendary oh, tones. Hot nice. Mod. No. Wow! 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 Yeah. Yeah, so what this is, is uh, you plug it into the second preamp tube section of a Marshall, and it gives you a modified Marshall with an extra gain stage. So it's kind of like what we used to do back in the day when you'd chop up the amp and and put extra tubes in and stuff. When I was uh, using this, which is, it's great, because now I don't have to, I won't do that to an amp at this point in time. They're too valuable. Yeah. Yeah, I thought a lot about that. How do I create this particular tone? And that came from... I was using Echo Boy because I wanted to use, I wanted to use a stereo set of Echo Plexes, and I wanted to use this 480L reverb that I had used on a guitar track from a re-record a few years ago. That I thought, oh wow, this gives it this really great ambient vibe. And so yes, I absolutely learned to pr- put those things in my productions. Yeah. I'll send you guys a link to the uh, the video because I think the tone turned out really really cool. Yeah, it'd be really cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So so yeah. when
2: it comes to um, you know, reverbs and things outside of the, well, not necessarily outside of the hardware realm, but it, yeah. when, when you're not talking about hardware amps and things, yeah. do you find yourself that you hunt down a, you know, like you mentioned, like a 480L or, or are you using or are you making
0: use of like IRs and things like that at this point? Yeah, the, uh... At this point, yeah, I made a switch about four or five years ago, completely away from hardware i am a hundred percent in the box now aside from your amp heads aside from my amp heads yeah um i had when the recalls were just brutal when we were doing guitar hero we had an ssl j series and we had all the Pultex and the 480 ls and whatnot and it would take hours to do a recall of six little things they needed changed well i can't do that anymore and honestly Yes, hardware does sound different, but I have a ton of the UA stuff, Waves, and other programs that are so close, you have to go with the flexibility and repeatability and immediacy of saying... Yeah, I got three 480Ls running. When am I going to go and have three of those (laughs) again? You know what I mean? And so, you know, and they're getting kind of harder to maintain. So I don't miss it. I had a Brocasti, one of the greatest reverbs Mm. ever. Mm. Yes. And then I found the Seventh Heaven version of the Brocasti. And let me tell you, I did A B tests. I went back and forth and back and forth and I sold my Brocasti. I will never say anything bad about the Brocasti. I will say that. The seventh heaven saved me because now I can have four versions of that running, and I don't have to print. You know, I don't have sure. to print yeah. the take. And you know, when you're doing stems for a game, no way do I want anything like a real time bounce per stem sure. per track. You know, well, and they, yeah, they I,
2: did a just a real quick, Jody, but but I Brkasti as well. It, I can't remember if it was for when they did the launch of the unit, but there was several years ago that they actually released a bunch of IRs that they had done for that as well. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. So yeah.
0: I'm
1: sorry, Jody, I stepped over here though. What what you got? I was in a moment of silence there.
0: <laughs> yeah. 64 <laughs> uh, K <64K laughs> of RAM. Uh, uh, well, yes, yeah. exactly. No,
1: it was <laughs> the I, reboot. <laughs> was right. Waiting for session wire to catch up. I was gonna say about the 4 DL. I'm I'm assuming that you're using the UA version of that yes, plugin. I am.
0: Yeah. I had the ReLab which is excellent as well. Right. Mm-hmm. But I use you know I've I've kind of invested pretty heavily in the UA. I've got a an Octo satellite card and I've got the uh, X8P and I I don't run out of processing power because I do still use a ton of waves. Sure. And a variety of other ones, but I do go back to the UA a lot for their their emulations which are very good. Yeah. Right. Right, it's right. something
2: Jody and I have talked about a fair bit here as well, because it, it is very easy to get what we call like gear derangement syndrome here, where <laughs> yeah, you're, you're constantly chasing sort of like the air quote best emulation, right? Right. And that's, in my opinion anyway, that's always a moving target because it depends on which unit has been you know Emulating. or em, thank you. And most people, not everybody obviously, but most people that end up getting the emulations have probably never worked with a hardware unit to begin with. That's true. So I think whether it's an exact replica of whatever it is becomes less important and it becomes more important of how you're actually using that piece of gear. I where agree. Where you can use that. So it's interesting that you mentioned, like, yeah, I use the UA stuff and I'm a big Slate guy and Jody's a UA Slate's guy. great. It's great. But Yeah, but, but it also, it's like, for me, it, I feel like it wouldn't behoove me to, Get another emulation as well, right? Because I think right. it's better to really get to know the gear that, that you have, and whether I'm succeeding at that is, is arguable at this <laughs> at this stage. But it's like, yeah, you know what, Chris? That song would sound so much better if you had a different SSL emulation. You know what I mean? So well, it, it, no,
0: a good song is a good song. I've I've, I've said it before. And I'll say it again: put a mic anywhere near Paul McCartney, and yeah. it's going to be great. And right. it, they, it doesn't matter. Yes, the Beatles were recorded extremely well, and uh, you know I'll forever be thankful that there are you know things that we can hear on that. But I'll tell you this: back in the day, I have to say, back in the day, you know, get off my lawn, all those things. <laughs> when we had hardware, a keyboard, a sampler, whatever it was, we had one. Yeah, yeah. You know, you you didn't have a lot of money to buy an H3000 and you knew that thing inside and out. Now you go and you buy a plugin and I guarantee you don't know it inside and out. If you have 150 or 1200 or whatever, you're using presets or you're twisting it a little bit here and there, but you, you are not intimately familiar. I think being familiar with your gear and getting the best out of it, that's a whole different thing and that's called being dedicated to your art and these days there is no excuse if you can't make something sound good with the tools that come with your daw stock then <laughs> You've it's got a then problem. it's your fault yes yeah. it's you know it's not going to get saved by you know it'll it's like wine or any of those things you get 95% of the way there the extra 5 costs you exponentially more and only a few of the cork sniffers are going to notice the difference. <laughs> right. This you know? is
1: almost sounding like a commercial for
2: us on a previous
0: yep. episode. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. No, but that, that, that it, I'm so happy to hear you say that because it's something that Jody and I say a lot, right? And it, yeah. I think it it can come across as sort of hyperbole or just arrogance. Quite frankly, but but it really
0: is true. It's, it's it really not about is arrogance at all, you know, because yeah. uh, I don't I don't do that well sometimes. So. <laughs> well, no, but a, from our perspective, it's like yeah, it's like sure. you,
2: Well, you know, yeah. All the mud people can use the stock stuff, right? No, it's not about that. It's no. like you know, it, it's it really is. Do you know your EQ? Do you know your compressor? That's and right. then you know everything else is just flavors, kind of thing. So a- they're, and they're,
0: absolutely true. Okay.
2: Absolutely true. I got to go out in the lawn and yell at my clients. So. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. So uh, oh, what do you say, Jody? Should we thank Steve here for being very generous with his time here and go but into the course. last few questions here? Thank you so much. Yeah, Steve, oh. I really, really appreciate You're this. Totally so, fun. Well, we, have, I, three we have three questions that we're going to finish. Three questions. We There re- are three questions. Yes. Yes. Okay. D-
1: do you want to start, Jody? Yeah, Steve. Yes. Name your favorite piece of gear that you absolutely cannot live without.
0: It's going to be the Universal Ox. Very cool. Yeah. Straightforward. Yeah. All right. It's, yeah. That's that's it. It's got to be that. Okay. I mean, all right. I'm going to just plan B. The studio, <laughs> s- sorry, Studio One. I mean, come on, I can't do anything without Studio One. No, it's the Mac. No, okay, all right. I'm gonna just go back to the ox. There you go. Um, there you go. <laughs> I love them all, but that's the answer.
2: All right, awesome. You'd be lost without it. Okay, so yeah. the second question that I would like to ask: What's the biggest lesson that you've ever learned in your
0: career? Oh, that's a that's a great question. That you can never, you never, are at your pinnacle. Mm stay hungry um, in other words yeah yeah i think that no matter what things you've done you can always do better that's okay. what i've learned you know you you might be thinking wow that was that was awesome and it might be but there's there's more uh, human beings are incredible at being able to grow so that that's what i would say
1: but wait there's more all right one last question uh, okay all right the advice that you universally give to
0: others do your absolute best work wherever you are every time and don't be a dick don't be Um, a dick you
1: have never stepped inside the studio i had in la but i actually literally had a sticker that said don't be a dick on it (laughs) isn't that
0: the most universal thing i have to say it just treat people with kindness we have way too much of that going on in the world if you don't have something nice to say don't say anything at all but yes i would say always do your best very. I've cool. got a lot of I've got a lot of Plan Bs on there. Sorry about that, guys. No worries. No, that that's awesome. That is very very cool. Very cool. All yeah. Right. Man, this so, was fun. Yes. Good. Well, we agree. Thank you again for doing this. this. Thank yeah. You yeah. Very much.
2: La- yeah. I think we've laughed more today than than we have <laughs> in a fair Quite bit a of time. time. So. Well, good.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. All right. It's time for Friday Fines, and we always kick it off with Chris. What do you got today, Chris? Yes, don't I feel important? Yes.
2: I have some music this week, just like you did last week. Yeah, mine was impromptu, though. And it's the uh, <laughs> new single with uh, Biffy Clyro. They have a new single out called Unknown Male 01. Mm-hmm. And besides being a really, really cool song, the production is Fucking amazing. Oh yeah. It sounds really, really good. Yeah. It's produced by a guy called Adam Noble. Well, go Adam. Yeah, you should go check it out. It's a really, really cool song. And I think it's one of those tracks that's going to make it into my list of reference tracks for when I'm mixing. Ooh. Yeah, it sounds Exciting. really, really good. So there you go. What what about you, Jody? What do you got for us?
1: My Friday find this week is Yamaha. And it's brand new DTX-8 and DTX-10 electronic drum sets. I guess what sets these kits apart from other electronic kits is they're using wood shells for their toms and their snare. Hmm. So it's still the same concept. You've got like these rubbery cymbals and such and your Yamaha brain, but you're now playing on your mesh heads with wood shells. That's if that's going to make much of a difference. I'm not sure. I don't know. It would be interesting to record that with live cymbals, comparatively how I did it with these rum kits way back in the day with just the mesh heads that you didn't have a whole lot of sound with. So, yes, the rum, the Yamaha DTX series now has wood shells. Steve, can we put you on the spot? Do you got something you want to, like, say, hey?
0: I got something, but it's nothing new. It's something old. Doesn't have to be new. You guys are seeing it, right? Ooh, <gasps> No! Yes. Yeah. What yeah. I'm showing here is an Ebo from Heat, I believe they call the the company. Everyone that does not know, if you don't know, oh, I, I burned out my battery. <laughs> I, <laughs> oh, left I left it on. You cannot leave batteries in those things. I left it on. Okay, so an Ebo is an electromechanical voice, uh, not voice, it's an electromechanical unit that Jody and I, I, I Chris, do you have one?
2: I generally tend to borrow Jody's when I need <laughs> okay <me. laughs> okay One, once every four years yeah. Right. yeah
0: I this is uh infinite sustain from your guitar uh, or bass or other instrument that uses the proper uh, strings it does not work on an acoustic guitar um, to my knowledge um, bronze doesn't work but anyways it lets you sustain a single note forever and ever and ever and the closer you get to the pickup the louder it gets and it pick up picks up the harmonics of the string it sounds kind of like feedback used on a gazillion different tracks from a gazillion different artists and it may be <laughs> the coolest invention of all time i literally said earlier that i had my mutron octave divider forever i've actually had this as long and this is so this is 33 years old now, is now is that an works. original ebo well, it's a it's a thirty three year old Ebo. Well,
1: uh, okay, so yeah, okay, your are oh, okay, I was wondering, yeah, yeah, yours is yours is an ebo ebo. Um, I thought like for a second there you said it was like a re release of something, but you've actually used it so no. much you've got the paint coming off the logo. I have
0: worn the paint off of. I have worn most of the white paint off of it. I've used it for so many different things, and it it never ceases to amaze me.
1: Oh, it's a fantastic device. I've just used yeah, it the yeah. other day. I think David uh,
0: Bowie's heroes. Right? Yes,
1: that's, that's...
0: <laughs> we could be heroes just for one day with an ebo. You, Ooh! No, I'm not Ooh. talk that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so now, a question: Have you ever attended the NAM show? Me? Yeah, I've been to every one since 1986. So you
1: tend to remember the old man that had the
0: EBO? Yeah, boost. of course, the guy that would do the the, the guy that Cushion. actually really nailed it. Yes, right. Um, He's
2: yeah, no I longer I actually around. missed a whole era.
0: Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. At least I he don't was, think he was there was a there was a an offshoot that was uh, from a company called um, well Mutron turned into ARP and they released this crazy thing called the Gizmotron. <laughs> Has anyone ever heard of the Gizmotron? I've heard of it. Low, yeah, Low Cream and Kevin Godley from Ten CC uh, invented, or Kevin Godley or Low Cream invented it, and it was six wheels made of rubber that would uh, turn like your guitar into a cello like instrument, and it was. <laughs> what a mess to to put that thing on an instrument but it worked when it worked it was brilliant in the light from jimmy page is that led zeppelin uses that mm. and they just recently someone bought the rights to the company and rebuilt them and oh, i have boy. a gizmatron nice so, cool, cool. <laughs> all right i well, talk a have. lot <laughs> <Don't.
1: So>. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna wrap it up here while we've okay. got your attention we would like to ask that you go to our website inside the recordingstudio.com, and sign up for our email list doing so gets you weekly reminders of the most current episodes and tuesday tips that come out in addition to that when you sign up you do get some free plug-in presets from chris and i that will help make your productions a little bit better. If you are signed up on the email list, anytime we are running a contest, you are automatically entered to win. If you send us an email to goldstar, G-O-L-D-S-T-A-R at com with the word Steve, you will get something back in your inbox that might make you laugh. And if you have a topic of suggestion for us to explain in a future episode, contact us and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. And with that... I'll say, see you next week.